Gansey's partying with his mother, Ronan said. He smelled like beer. And Noah's fucking dead. But Parrish is here. Chapter 32, page 297, The Raven Boys. Hi, I'm Shannon. And I'm Navita. And we're the, the Raven, Raven Girls. Girls. Welcome to our Raven Cycle podcast. Where we talk about five dysfunctional teenagers and their feelings. <laughs> Nothing more than feelings. <laughs> This is episode 11, and we're covering chapters 30 through 32 of The Raven Boys. We will also be taking a deep dive on Holy Stones, H-O-L-E-Y. Disclaimers, this is an analysis podcast. We'll be discussing The Raven Cycle as a cycle. This means we are spoilerific, so you probably want to have read the books before listening. We will use pronunciations from the audiobooks and page numbers referenced from the paperback editions. And a disclaimer from me, this podcast has a teen plus rating. There will be canon levels of adult content, including Ronan swearing, 300 Foxway drinking, Kavinsky lewdness, and hopefully no gray man violence. I can't promise that today, Narita. Oh, I've already <laughs> pissed her off a couple times. She almost made us crash because she freaked out in the car. <laughs> Okay, with that, let's get on with the show. It's going to be a fun one. (laughs) Alrighty then. So chapter 30 is a blue point of view chapter. Blue stops in the kitchen before school to find a note from Kala about their movie night. She's startled by Neve, who continues her streak of being like the worst and most cryptic cathont on the planet. (laughs) Okay, so the next few chapters are very sit-in-one-place conversation-heavy in a way that I don't usually notice in this series. It seemed very, like, talky-talky-talky to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But it left me asking that perennial question, how is this scene ticking the story forward? And at the very least, it's sort of a calm before the storm because we are really about to get into the climax of the book. Right. And it's also all important stuff that they do need to talk about. It is, Absolutely. And Mm. the thought that Maggie has of look at the stuff that's happening behind the scenes, what pieces of furniture are being moved here. Mm -hmm. We definitely have that indication of Welk has been talked to or found out about the police and all this stuff is actually happening today that really isn't even on the page. Right. And so this is a blue in her kitchen right before school on Friday morning. Mm -hmm. And the first thing we see is that blue finds herself surprised at how upset she is at the revelation that Noah's dead. Blue, hon, it's okay to be sad. This is your Mm -hmm. friend and it's something horrible that has happened to him whether or not, like, it doesn't matter that it happened before you met because it's, like, still terrible. Mm -hmm. And Blue mentions that Noah's presence has changed since the discovery. Right, and she describes some of these ghostly abilities that we mentioned last episode, like Gansey gets a voice, he hears Noah, Blue gets a shadow, and Ronan gets scratched. (laughs) And I'm not (laughs) sure why Noah would be physical with him and Ronan also ducks as if he's going to be hit by Noah yeah I, 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 I mentioned that I questioned that later yeah and Adam again immediately pinpoints the problem it's that Noah's bones were moved yeah it's Adam being eerily perceptive yet again uh-huh. she thinks about the smashed in skull the Mustang not throwing up just going through the actions of it because he was dead mm-hmm And she wanted to find whoever did it and wanted him to fester in his cell for the rest of his life. And I'm like, right there with you. Yeah, or they could, I don't know, 
kill Noah's murderer <laughs> in a stampede of weird animals of some kind. That's a possibility. I mean, he does it to himself. Mm, nope, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, that's a discussion for later. Yeah. Blue is so intent on her thoughts about Noah that she's forgotten movie night with Kala. She finds a note Kala's left for her as a reminder and then jumps out of her skin when Neve comes up behind her. The sticky note in her backpack felt like a burning confession. Yeah, and it's a cheekily obvious note. <laughs> It's written in all caps, which just kind of cracks me up because I also write in all caps printing. If I had to pick, I know you identify with Ronan, but you are also Kala. (laughs) Very Kala. (laughs) Neve doesn't even come up behind her. She is literally sitting at the kitchen table reading a book and Blue has walked right past her. Also, Blue going straight up in the air and turning 180 degrees at the same time Uh put me in the mind of a startled cat. Absolutely. So Neve ignores, but we see later that she absolutely knows what's up. Blue's very suspicious behavior, because Blue is acting so suspicious here. Oh, yeah. And turns the subject to Gansey. Right. Neve smiling mildly seems more creepy than it should. Mm -hmm. And also Blue telling herself not to sound suspicious cracks me up. (laughs) She's like, just don't say Uh anything. So Neve offers to do a reading and Blue wonders if Neve is doing this out of kindness or reverse psychology. And I wonder the same, actually. And I've never actually been able to put together Neve's full plan. No, we don't get a whole lot of motivation for Neve. And I had written, I wonder too. Mm-hmm. Neve tells Blue, you're looking for a god. Didn't you suspect that there was also a devil? This to me is a huge hint that Neve knows that she has contacted something evil or demonic when she was scrying under the beach. Each tree. Mm-hmm. The devil card is what Adam pulls when scrying for the three sleepers in the Raven King. Right. And then Neve continues, what you're doing is big enough for me to see while I'm looking at other things. And she mentions that numbers are easy for me. And that makes me think of the old question of why you never see the headline, Psychic Wins the Lottery. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It explains Neve knowing about the phone number to the payphone next to Welk when he's sitting on the curb, though. Yeah. And that's page 346 of The Raven Boys. Mm-hmm. And then Neve is like, that's the next easiest. I can tell when someone's touched it. And I'm like, that's creepy as heck. But we've all touched death in some way. Yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting. Point number one, Blue has laid her hands on Noah's bones. So she's literally touched death. Point number two, it could be a reference to the cards or Gansey because she's touched his card and Mm -hmm. she's fated to touch him and kill him. Uh And point number three, does that mean that Neve knows that Welk killed Noah or at least has killed someone or, you know, that he's touched death in some way? Mm -hmm. Those are all good questions. Yeah. And later in Cave's Water, when it's Neve, and Welk. Adam is Mm. there. He's the one who actually makes the connection. But if Neve knows, could she have told Blue now that Welk is someone to worry about? It seems like that would be the thing to do. Yeah, if we knew what Neve was thinking at all. Mm -hmm. Blue thinks to herself that her mother and her friends were strange, yes, but they knew they were strange. They knew when they were saying something weird. 
and Neve didn't seem to have that filter. And sometimes Neve seems to be the stereotype of a psychic, like particularly a TV psychic. She almost she plays on the stereotype. Uh huh. Like she's embracing it and accepting it right. and folding it into her persona. Mm-hmm. And then Blue says he'd been dead a long time, and Neve replies, "There'll be more before it's done." And I'm like, "Yep, and you're included." <laughs> uh, yep. And she says to watch for the devil. And again, she should have heeded her own warning. Right. She also said, when there's a god, and who is the god she's referring to? Is it Gansey? Is it Glendower? Is it Caveswater? Is it Ronin? Also, she says a legion of devils, which carries through as the devil imagery is used in reference to a few other things in the book as well, Mm -hmm. like Adam's father and Kavinsky, and then the literal devil that Niall fought at the barns. That's basically it for that chapter. It was very, very short. It was a very short chapter. Chapter 31 is actually a split POV for the first time between Adam and Gansey. Adam hangs out at Monmouth while Ronan nurses a broken heart and some beers over Noah's death. Declan, bearer of all bad news, comes by to inform them that Gansey is getting Ronan kicked out of Aglenby. Gansey decides that the best remedy for this situation is to do the most Gansey thing possible, bribe the school with a fat wad of cash. (laughs) So this is the first time we have a split POV chapter. They do become more prevalent as the series progresses. Now, the two characters are separated by distance, but the two scenes or the split basically happens almost directly one scene right after the other. Mm-hmm. Ronan says that Gansey is off parting with his mom in a belated birthday celebration. And I have it written down that his mom's birthday is May 10th. And I have to have found that somewhere because I wouldn't have written it down, but I didn't write the reference down with it. Mm -hmm. So this is a Friday and it's probably May 11th belated birthday celebration in 2012. Mm -hmm. If so, the Gangzi have known each other for less than two and a half weeks. That's a lot to happen in two and a half weeks. Right. From April 25th to May 11th is only 17 days. (laughs) And Adam thinks that he isn't happy to have a day off from Aglenby for once, probably because he's stuck babysitting Ronan in mm-hmm. Gansey's absence. <laughs> Most of him realized that Ronan was, in his unappealing and unspoken way, grieving for Noah. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of, the fuck would I talk about, Ronan says, as when Adam says, I don't want to talk when he's grieving for Persephone. Mm-hmm. Or Adam silently climbing into the BMW to sleep next to Ronan after Aurora dies. Mm -hmm. They give each other space. And more importantly, they hold space for each other. And it starts as early as now. Right. So Adam smelled the mint plant on Gansey's desk, but he also smelled Noah. I thought that this points out the connection between Gansey and Noah. Mm-hmm. That combination of deodorant and soap and sweat. Another ghost story or haunting trope that we didn't cover was a ghost having a signature scent like roses or cigars. It's true. That does happen a lot. Mm-hmm. So the mint plant crashes to the floor. Connection again with poltergeist activity. Mm-hmm. And Adam says, that's not going to help. Adam said calmly. But he was shaken. Sweet, logical Adam. He's scared, but he's still being calm. Mm -hmm. And Adam bemoans the fact that he's not sure what to do to help Noah or to catch his killer. But he's glad that Gansey listened.
listen to him about not telling the police about the Mustang. I agree that that was a good choice because no one else needs to find Caves Water right now. Right. That would just be too much. Unfortunately, this also makes my skin crawl because he's likely been told over and over by his parents not to say anything to police authority figures. Hmm. It's true. Yeah. This is something that he's probably learned from his family. Mm -hmm. And did they finally manage to figure out that the Mustang was Noah's? (laughs) Was it something that the police talked about? I mean, Noah hasn't been around to tell them about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously they put it together at this point. They put it together. Finally. (laughs) Hallelujah. So Declan shows up and he's wearing casual clothes and Adam thinks to himself that Declan looks younger this way. Right. And poor guy never takes a break. Right. Yeah. They do have a day off from school and he probably has nothing to do for his internship. Mm-hmm. Also, Declan is 18. He's yeah. not 38, much as he tries to be. Right. Well, as much as he's forced to try to be. Right. True. <laughs> and Declan accuses Adam of lying, which reflects back on Ronan constantly calling Declan a liar. Does Declan just expect that from the world? For people to lie to him? I, you know, with the way that his life has gone, Probably. I can't imagine why he wouldn't. Right. Adam usually had better ways of getting what he wanted. Like what? <laughs> I don't know, but I can see Adam thinking that he did. He's definitely clever enough to get around people. Mm-hmm. However, when he actually is called out on lying, he admits to it pretty readily. Mm-hmm. Like, in the next instant, when he actually is covering something. Correct, up. correct. <laughs> and I like the line, Adam knew only this. There was no way that Declan could speak to Ronan right now. Not if Ronan had been drinking and not if Declan was already angry. Right. It, I like that line. And also, it just shows that he knows these two. And it's also a reflection of what he's grown up with. Right. The walking yeah. on eggshells. Yeah, he is stepping out on a limb. He puts his arm up to block Declan from coming in. He's protecting Ronan in his own way. Mm -hmm. And he says, you're not going to fight me, are you? Adam asked as if he wasn't nervous. And oh God, Adam thinking he might get hit. I know. It's so sad. And Adam can see the storm coming here, and he manages to avert it. Mm -hmm. Mostly by comparing Declan to Ronan. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And Declan tells Adam why he's there. Ronan's getting kicked out. And he then goes on to blame Gansey. Mm-hmm. You know, Gansey promised me. He's gotten my brother kicked out. Gansey is not Ronan's dad, mm-hmm. no matter how much he acts like it. And Declan is not Ronan's dad, no matter how much he loves his brother. Mm-hmm. Hell, Niall was barely Ronan's dad. Mm-hmm. They're all just kids trying to do the best they can. Right. And Adam then goes off on Declan with the same thing I've been thinking this whole time, which is Ronan did that all by himself. I don't know when you both are going to see that only Ronan could keep himself in Aglenby. Or Adam can keep him in Aglenby, to be honest. Yeah, that's true. He hoped Ronan was listening. This coupled with Ronan studying later this weekend... All the feels right to the heart. Mm -hmm. The first time I read it, I thought that the studying was for Gansey, but no, it's for Adam. It is for Adam. No argument that Adam Parrish could present in his Henrietta accent that would move someone like Declan. Oh, you're so much more than you think you are. Yeah. Then Declan's like, well, then Ronan's moving out of here because no Aglenby, no Monmouth. And Adam thinks to himself, then you've killed him. 
It turns out no, but I can totally see why Adam would think that right here. Yeah, he can't imagine Ronan living under a roof without Gansey, period. Mm -hmm. This alone is character growth, and it shows how much the Barnes really does mean to Ronan. Mm -hmm. And then Adam goes to call Gansey after Declan is left, and Gansey, of fucking course, still has a landline. (laughs) What a dork. (laughs) And because Adam doesn't have a cell phone, he has Gansey's numbered memorized. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the last word of Adam's POV is Gansey. And we time skip slightly to after the conversation. Mm-hmm. To where Gansey was just losing interest in his mother's birthday. And I'm like, come on, dude. Uh, <laughs> he has legit reasons. But yeah. Their fight, his mom and Helen are fighting. Right. And but I'm still he just like, got a you terrible know. phone call. And it's. <laughs> You know, whatever. And Helen and their mom are fighting over the plate and pretending they aren't. Because he told Helen. Yeah. He told her. And they're not even fighting. They're passive aggressively fighting a non-exchange. Mm-hmm. But it's still fighting. Right. It it's, totally is. It's fighting for their family. Mm-hmm. All he could think about was Noah's skeleton and Ronan's failing grades and the trees speaking Latin and Glendower. Yeah. Yeah. He's got so much on his plate right now. Mm-hmm. Gansey talks about a dream that he had where he finds Glendower. He said he touched the dusted surface of the armor, run his fingers over the spearhead that lay beside him, blown dust off the cup in Glendower's right hand. Mm-hmm. We see more of the vision this time. And the description ends with the waking. Mm-hmm. And I just want to put a pin in that for now. Mm-hmm. I see this as more imagery for Gansey as Glendower and the mm-hmm. Gangsy as his accoutrements. Right. Dusty armor. Dusty immediately makes me think of Adam. Mm-hmm. The spearhead and weapon always equals Ronan. Right. <laughs> and blown dust off the cup. And the cup is, we see many, many times the page of cups equals blue. Mm-hmm. And to blow, like blowing a kiss. Yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. And we also see here that Gansey is aware that there are two of him. He sees it as the one who's in control, the one that Blue calls President's cell phone, and the other more fragile Gansey, strung out and unsure. And embarrassingly earnest, driven by naive longing. And don't we all have this version of ourselves, that part of us that we don't think we can show to other people? Just me and Gansey? No, I don't think it was just, I don't think it's just you and Gansey. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And that second Gansey loomed inside him now more than ever, and he didn't like it. It sucks not feeling in control, but then again, no one wants us to pretend to be in control all the time. Yeah. Gansey heads to the garage for some quiet, and it's described as as large as the house, a stable housing several thousand horses tucked away under hoods. Mm -hmm. It's a great line, but as large as a sprawling mansion? Holy crap. Yeah, I don't know that it could be that big. (laughs) That's the description. As large (laughs) as the house. Gansey the Elder also collects classic cars. I was wondering how one would know that a car had been involved in a collision with a historical figure. There are lots of (laughs) noted cars that are Mm -hmm. like that. I'd have to find the links to it. But there are cars that are like, oh, this car is cursed because it was like... Right, yeah. (laughs) This famous person was in a crash with it. Right. But Richard Campbell Gansey II likes cars with history and personality, much like his son. Mm -hmm. So Gansey makes a call to basically bribe the school to keep Ronan at Aguanby. And the first time, or possibly the first couple of times I read this, I actually hated Gansey here. 
He was exhibiting everything he seemed to say he despised. Mm -hmm. But I slowly folded in the thought that perhaps he's already beginning to worry about his death and what will happen to Ronan afterwards. Right. Gansey conjured up that in-control version of himself that he knew lurked inside. This may actually be the first time that we get an indication that Gansey is aware that he has this facade. Mm -hmm. It's been observed from the outside by several characters, but now we're seeing it from the inside as well. Mm -hmm. The lines about the car being the color of vanilla ice cream and the interior reminding him of his mother's kitchen mixer Uh and the gear shift looked like it might make a serviceable meringue. (laughs) They all make me laugh as well as they give a great mental picture. Mm -hmm. Also, the description of vanilla reinforces the bland, even though classic part of this car. Absolutely. I thought the same thing. So Gansey calls Pinter, the school counselor, and Pinter was a tidy, motivated man that Gansey called very traditional and Ronan deemed a cautionary tale. Ronan is cracking me up as always. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Gansey recognizing that all due respect is a phrase that someone only says when they are about to disrespect someone. Uh-huh. <laughs> And Gansey fidgets through this whole conversation. He runs his card through the vent. He's scratching the back of his head. He's rocking back in the seat. He's leaning forward and leaning on the steering wheel. It shows his innate uncomfortableness Mm -hmm. with this. Also, he had to grab the card before it disappeared into the bowels of the car. It's so funny to me. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Gansey concluded with a thesis statement of just how successful he was certain Ronan Lynch would be once he found a way to patch the hemorrhaging Nile Lynch-shaped hole in his heart. And I wonder if Gansey really believes that this could be done. I don't know if he believes it at this point, but the potential patches could be Chainsaw, Caves Water, The Barns, and Adam. Those all play a part in fixing it. Yeah. Ganji says that Agamblee has an incredibly varied and complex student body as one of the reasons my parents selected it for me. Both of these sentences are lies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Agamblee is so not diverse. And mm-hmm. as Gandhi admits to himself a second later, he picked Agamblee. And really, it had been four hours of Google and a persuasive phone call with his father that decided it. Right. And then Pinter is talking about Ronan. I appreciate what you're trying to do for your friend. Brother, Gansey interrupted. Really, I've come to see him as a brother. And he's not lying here. About his parents feeling the same, yes. But he's not lying when he calls Vernon his brother. Right. And is this the first time that we see in the books him and Ronan describing each other as brothers? I think it might be. Mm-hmm. And then we see, like, the actual bribe. My father thought the Agamemnon Library looked a little sparse in the nautical history department. And, oh, $30,000 sized gap in funding? It's like, it works, but why did he pick nautical history? I have no idea. I have never seen 30K in one Mm -hmm. place in my life. Yeah. This is so incomprehensible to me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the bribe, will it even be going to the school? Will it be going to Pinter? Will it be used in the library? Do they even have a nautical history section? <laughs> I kind of was thinking maybe Gansey was like just pulling something out of his butt to make it like super obvious that it was a bribe. Uh-huh. That makes sense. <laughs> Ronan seems to have nothing but contempt for his academics. Or anything else, really. It's true. Gansey leaned forward and rested his head against the steering wheel. Both Adam and Gansey have a sort of resignation about this. Mm-hmm. But I think Adam has a much more correct placement of blame. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this is on Ronan. And as Adam has said before, Ronan needs to clean up his own messes. 
but both Gansey and Declan still see this as Gansey's failure. Yeah, it's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pinter says he hasn't been to any of his classes, Mr. Gansey. <laughs> Does Gansy not know this? He has to know this. He Mm -hmm. lives with the guy. He goes to school with the guy. None of this is a surprise. Right. He should not be taking this on. He he has to know that the only class Ronan ever goes to is Latin. Yeah. And Ronan thought he had nothing to learn from Pinter. Nah, Ronan's probably right. (laughs) Yeah. Closing his eyes, he breathed a swear word. Again, Gansy swears off page. Uh Uh-huh. So, after the conversation is over, the two Dick Gansies talk cars. Are you being seduced by this French beauty? This makes your mullet car seem pretty coarse, doesn't it? Gansy with a mullet fan art, please. <laughs> this is me begging. Please, Gansy with a mullet. <laughs> that would be awesome. Oh my god, please. <laughs> Business in the front, Glendower in the back. Oh, oh no! <laughs> That's going to go on our bookmarks. (laughs) All right. So Gansey replies, it's nice. Not really me, though. And I'm like, Gansey's totally right. The pig is 100% his car. Yeah, I said Gansey in a nutshell yet again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Gansey defends the pig. It's fine, Dad. It's exemplary. Mm -hmm. This is the conversation I referred to last episode when I said Gansey's response to Blue seemed long-suffering. Uh-huh. And then Gansey thinks about how other people see his dad. A lovely man, always smiling, nothing flaps him, such a character. Mm -hmm. This would be exactly what someone might say of Gansey himself. Something akin to the conversation between the teachers and Welk. Right. More quotes about Gansey the second. He collected strange old things and looked at holes in walls and had a journal of things that uh-huh. happened on the And Richard Campbell Gansey the third comes by it honestly, that's for sure. Absolutely. And it makes me wonder if Richard Campbell Gansey the second, as a young man, ever wanted something more. He probably did. I would say yeah. he did. So the conversation then switches to why Helen spent three thousand dollars on a plate she should have known her mother would hate. Is she angry at your mother? Is she trying to play a patrical joke? And Gansey says, I tried to warn her. And I think it was an honest attempt by Helen to get her mother to expand her horizons. I don't see that. But hey, I'll accept your headcanon. <laughs> and Dad asks if Gansey wants to turn the car on. And the engine turned over immediately, springing to obedient life. Nothing like the Camaro. This wording makes me feel like how stifled Gansey feels by his parents' lifestyle and the lifestyle that he thinks he's going to have to lead. He likes the unpredictability, the hymnness of the pig. Also, there's a throwaway line here about an attempted break-in, and I wonder if we're supposed to believe it actually happened or if it's connected to Gansey? I think it's probably connected to the fact that they live in a fucking mansion where you can open the garage by shouting loudly. (laughs) I'm pretty baffled by that. Mm -hmm. The pig was low and defiant and rough around the edges in comparison to the demure, self-contained, always smiling Peugeot. Low and defiant and rough could also be used to describe Gansey's two best friends. Uh Gansey felt a sudden and irrepressible love for his car. (laughs) This section is a really interesting look into how Gansey sees himself and how he wants to be seen. 
he thinks about overhearing his dad asking his mom, why does he even want that car? And his mom replying, oh, I know why. And Gansey wants to know what that why is. He wants to know why she thought he'd bought it. And he wants to know if she understands him. Right. A car was a wrapper for its contents, he thought. And if he looked on the inside, like any of the cars in this garage looked on the outside, he couldn't live with himself. And this is a refrain for Gansey. Like, Mm -hmm. we see this kind of thing over and over again. On the outside, he knew he looked a lot like his father. On the inside, he sort of wished he looked more like the Camaro, which is to say, more like Adam. Again, this is another refrain for Gansey, and the reverse is true for Adam as well. Right. And it's a source of tension between them. I want to know why Gansey is romanticizing Adam's life. That's a good question. He has to know that it's objectively terrible. I just don't, I don't get it. I don't get it either. So Gansey's dad brings up classes, he brings up friends, the normal dad stuff. Mm-hmm. And it seems like he genuinely wants to, or feels like he's supposed to, connect with Gansey. And it's also clear he doesn't really know how. Yeah, Gansey Sr. seems innocuous, but he's largely an absent figure in Gansey's life. And how supportive were they emotionally after Gansey's traumatic death? Mm-hmm. We've talked about the fact that Gansey has been on his own since he was 13. Mm -hmm. He used to reenact being stung. Yeah. He has panic attacks. How did they help him through those? Or did they? Right. Also, much as he's genteel about it, Gansey II is pretty dismissive of Gansey's friends, his car, and the choices he's making. Mm -hmm. He's not a bad dad, but he's not a great one either. Right. Gansey realizes that his dad didn't ask about Noah, and then he realizes he doesn't even remember ever even talking to his family about Noah. And he wonders if the police called them after he reported Noah's body, but he decides not to bring it up if they don't bring it up. And it seems like he's feeling like he has to handle everything, and it seems like that keeps him from fully connecting with his family. And him not mentioning Noah seems like an effect of the magic or the ghostiness. Mm-hmm. His dad asks about the leyline hunt and tellingly, Gansey considered how much to say. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he can't tell his dad, though they all did talk about it in front of Helen right. when she was flying the helicopter. Now we see the real reason Dick Sr. wanted to talk. Helen is worried about Gansey, and Dad is trying to check in. Gansey assures his dad that everything's fine, and the two have a bonding moment over the birthday fiasco. Mm-hmm. And Gansey Sr. seems to feel like his dad duties have been discharged. And Gansey is hiding so much of his life from his family and probably would benefit from talking to someone outside the situation. Yeah. I mean, he basically glommed onto Mallory as a father figure. Uh-huh. And Gansey Sr. says, as long as you're happy and staying busy, feels like there's an unspoken third part and staying out of trouble, not being an embarrassment. Right. So now we move on to chapter 32, which is a blue point of view chapter. Blue is invited to the interior of Monmouth for the very first time, but we're lucky that she doesn't discover the kitchen bath laundry room, otherwise she'd never come back. She and Adam talk around her kissing curse, and they are joined by Ronan and eventually Noah, and Noah is pressured to reveal who his murderer was. Right, and everything from this part on basically happens within two days, excluding the last chapter. Mm Mm-hmm. So Blue shows up to Monmouth and she feels like a trespasser as she knocks. Yeah, she's never been invited in mm-hmm. before. So right. she does mention that she didn't even know if they were home because nobody was out in the parking lot. Usually right. they meet her outside. And then Ronan answers the door. Mm-hmm. How did he get past Adam? <laughs> 
<laughs> was he expecting it to be Declan again? <laughs> That's a really good question. Yeah. So Ronan answers the door and tells her, Gansey's partying with his mother, Ronan said. He smelled like beer. And Noah's fucking dead, but Parrish is here. This is such a good summation of the entire, like, what's going on in these chapters. <laughs> Gansey's party with his mother. <laughs> Gansy's hardly partying with his mother, but the mental image is hilarious. Uh-huh. And she walks in, and both of the boys were watching her reaction closely. They both want to see how she feels and how she fits in. This is such a contrast to Blue talking about her own classmates, who she can't seem to stand. Uh-huh. But she's very open to Monmouth for mm-hmm. some reason. Blue picks up on a lot of the same things about Monmouth that Adam mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. She says it reminds her of the home of a mad inventor or an obsessed scholar or a very messy explorer. And she was beginning to suspect he was all of these. Mm -hmm. And he really is. Adam says the downstairs looks like dust. But we also see him thinking that it was impressive earlier on. And I'm wondering if he's trying to play down Monmouth for Blue. Well, the downstairs is abandoned. So it probably is just dust and empty space Mm -hmm. because they're on the second floor. That's true. So downstairs is just like heaps of equipment. But I also find it telling Adam with this repetition of dust. Mm -hmm. And also that it was echoed by Ronan in kind of an offhanded, snarky Ronan type way. And then Adam used his foot to discreetly move a pair of dirty jeans, boxers still tucked inside. So Gansy <laughs> just shucks in the middle of the room. <laughs> don't you? <laughs> I don't have a roommate. The cats don't care. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's also a beautiful little detail that speaks volumes. Mm-hmm. On it really character. is. It's also very much like dirty underwear. We're just gonna kick that. Teenage that boys. Way. <laughs> yeah. Well, what am I talking about? Teenage boys. <laughs> it's me too. Yeah. <laughs> the space reminds Blue of Gansey, understandably so, and it reminds her of when she first read the journal, and she finds herself thinking of him. And the scene that she saw in the tree with Blue Kiss Me. Right. The vast room, painted red with afternoon sun through the dozens of window panes, mm-hmm. was beautiful and cluttered. Monmouth is another piece of Gansey's soul, and she recognizes it. Yeah, it absolutely is. I have to feed Chainsaw, Ronan said, a sentence that made absolutely no sense to Blue. <laughs> could she have not met or heard of Chainsaw yet? It's true. This seems super weird. No object permanence. Also, (laughs) Adam not reacting to the inhuman squawking is hilarious. Yes. Adam asked Blue if she wants to hang out. Why else is she there? (laughs) Maybe she thought they'd be exploring. I don't know. Maybe. And she looks around for a couch because it would be easier to hang out with a couch. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, okay. They're boys, you know. (laughs) There are no beverages being offered. (laughs) She doesn't want the tea anyway. Yeah, oh, the new water tea. (laughs) But she asks if Noah had been seen again, and they tell her no. And she thinks to herself that maybe Adam was right about Noah's body and moving it off the line. Yeah, Adam is basically right about most things like that. Yeah. So Blue calls out to Noah that he can use her energy if he wants to. And Adam calls this brave. And Blue thinks it wasn't really. Else why would her mom let her go on the church watch? 
but you've seen what the church watch can do to you now. Mm-hmm. And so they talk a bit about why Adam doesn't live at Monmouth. And he's a little bitter at first with Gansey wants all of his things together, which we've heard before. But then he softens and he's like, I need to be an equal and I can't be living here. And it's actually really good to see him actually verbalizing this to someone and, Mm -hmm. like, talking through it with someone a little outside the situation. And this is what Gansey cannot seem to understand for whatever reason. Adam must make his own place in the world. Mm Mm-hmm. He needs to forge his own identity and Mm -hmm. find out who he really is. Mm -hmm. He can't just go from being under his parents to being under Gansey. Right. And she asks Adam, where do you live? And it boils down to, like he says, a place made for leaving. Yeah. And it's like, it's so sad. This whole exchange is brilliant. She says, that's not really an answer. And he says, it's not really a place. Mm -hmm. It's so much how I felt about my hometown. Yeah, agreed. And it would be terrible to live here, she asks. Yes, he says. Mm. Blue thinks to herself that the entire place smelled like dust, but in the good old way of a library or a museum. And this is one of so many instances of Blue gravitating away from Adam and to Gansey from the same stimulus. Mm-hmm. Just because, like, the library and museum makes me think so much more of Gansey right. than Adam. Mm-hmm. And Adam laughs and Blue thinks to herself that she was beginning to really like the laugh that burst out of him and seemed to surprise him every time. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's so sweet. I'm so glad that Adam has Ronan who can make him do the same thing later. Right. But she thinks she was a little scared of the knowledge that she was starting to like it. Mm -hmm. I keep getting mixed messages, Blue. No wonder Adam feels the same. Mm -hmm. Not that Blue is under any obligation to provide Adam with any part of her. And yes, I understand that this is probably the first time Blue has had to confront these feelings or issues in the flesh. Everything has been theoretical for her up to now, as described in the prologue. Mm -hmm. But it's still, it's like just... Tell him. Say something. If you're not interested, like, make it These are learned things, though. I guess. These are learned things. You have to learn how to do this. And she has had zero experience learning how to do this because her family has told her her entire life that she's going to kill the first person that she lets in. As I just said, I understand (laughs) all of that. But, like, Mm. I am getting mixed messages. She is giving herself mixed messages in her own brain. You do that. Like, I mean. I know. It's just. (laughs) He was not looking at her, but there was something about his posture that betrayed his awareness of her. And I'm like, there's just so much in that sentence. Mm. Because I don't think Adam's had a whole lot of experience with relationships either. And it's also, like, very much the kind of having to be observant that he's always had to be in his family. Mm. He sits down, his knee bone pressed against Blue's. And Noah does the same when he sits down next to them, Mm -hmm. but they're doing it for very different reasons. Absolutely. Adam opens a box of Gansey's things from Wales and Peru and Australia and Montana and other strange places. And I just, I love the fact that Montana is added into this list of like strange places to Adam. But you know what? I get it. Like having grown up and not been very far outside of my home state for like the first 18 years of my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, I totally get that. And Montana, where Gansey met Lightning Boy as fandom calls him. (laughs) (laughs) 
So Adam pulls out a stone that has a hole in the middle of it and holds it up to his eye and it covers what's left of his bruise like magic. Right. And I'm just like, that hurts my heart so much. And he explains that water bored the hole, the seawater, but it was found in the mountains and it matched some of the stones that Gandhi found in the UK brought by Glendower's crew. Yeah. yeah or anyone. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, So these are what we're talking about when we say holy stones. It's literally just a stone with a hole bored in the middle. Mm -hmm. So we'll go ahead and do a deep dive on this. This is honestly the one thing other than Joffrey of Monmouth that made me want to do deep dives in these books. You're pretty excited about St. Mark's too. I was pretty excited about St. Mark's Eve, but come on. (laughs) I know that not everyone will be as excited as I am, so Mm -hmm. I will try and keep it brief, even though last night Shannon texted me and said, uh, wow, you have nine pages of deep dive notes. Yeah, I I was like, oh, I need to put my notes together and holy crap, Navita. (laughs) (laughs) I think, Shannon, you have actually been beachcombing with me. Probably. We've where, been on the beach together a few times. Where so. I obsessively look for holy stones. I mean, often we're picking up agates and jaspers and other mm-hmm. things, but I'm pretty obsessive about looking for holy stones. And I don't remember when or how I heard the folklore of holy stones. And it's H-O-L-E-Y, not necessarily holy, like religiously holy. But I grew up finding them. And it may have been a fairy tale, a folklore book, or something I heard from my mom. But I grew up on the coast of California. And I have fairly early memories of finding stones with holes in the middle. And using them to try to see invisible mermaids and other magical sea creatures. Mm -hmm. Did you ever see anything? (laughs) Don't give me that look. (laughs) Yes, because I was nine. And therefore was there you go. And there was therefore was convinced that I was seeing something. (laughs) So the definition a holy stone is also called many things. An adder stone, a hag stone, a hex stone, Odin stones, Ephialtes. I have no idea. It's Greek. Ephialtes stones, which basically means nightmare Mm -hmm. stones, and many other names. A holy stone is simply a stone with one or more natural holes through it that has been created most often by water erosion. Mm -hmm. Though sometimes I believe it could be caused by wind. Mm -hmm. And as such, they are often associated with the water element. Mm -hmm. And the belief is that since they were created by running water and magic cannot work on running water in folklore, these stones dispel magic directed at them. Okay. The belief in hold stones predates any historic traditions and probably stretches back into prehistoric times. There is a stone in Dartmoor called the Tolman Stone with Mm -hmm. numerous superstitions. They have grown up around the stone and its curative powers. It is a naturally weathered hold stone that's been formed by the river Tyne? Tigny? I have no idea. Names are hard. Mm -hmm. The similarity between the Tolman and Hex stones or holy stones is that by passing or looking through the hole, one is supposedly seeing into or being transported into another realm. So it could potentially be described as a portal between worlds. Mm -hmm. One of the references to mythology of holy stones In Popular Science Monthly, Volume 40, published in December 1891, (laughs) 
Holy Stones of the East and West, there was a paper that was concerned with mythology of India. There's a salagramma, which is a kind of ammonite, the size of an orange, and it has a hole in it. According to the legend, Vishnu the Preserver, when pursued by the Destroyer, was changed by Maya into the stone through the hole of which the Destroyer, as a worm, wound his way. In the Norse mythology, Odin, as a worm, bored his head through a stone in order to get at the mead of poetry. Hence, all stones with holes in them are known as Odin stones, also as holy stones and are much used at the north as amulets. Basically, the article was describing that there's this curious connection between mythologies found in India and found in Nordic countries. Mm -hmm. So the mythology is ancient and it goes around the world. Mm -hmm. In folk magic systems, these holy stones are highly protective and are often believed to ward off the dead. Curses, witches, sickness, and nightmares. Okay. They can be worn for personal protection, hung at doorways or windows to protect a home or business, or even hung near a pet or livestock sleeping place to protect the animal. Occasionally, if the building has a lock with a key still in it, there may well be a similar looking hold stone tied to the end of the key, protecting the key. When worn around the neck, a holy stone acted as an amulet and protected the wearer from the evil eye. Mm -hmm. The theory being that anyone who attempted to use the evil eye would have their attention drawn to the stone and therefore be unable to work any sort of black magic. They were also believed in some places to protect the wearer from being pixie-led or stolen by the fairies. Interesting. So basically, they're just good for everything. (laughs) They're good for dispelling magic. And it's not everything. Yeah. They're good for specifically dispelling fairy magic, hexes. Yeah. I would say no. The answer's no. (laughs) But across the world, you're going to get different interpretations of the same thing. So one of the other things again, a protective thing, was to prevent nightmares because they were often seen to be the visits of an entity. Mm -hmm. So to prevent nightmares, these stones are placed in the sleeping place of one who wishes to be free of nightmares. In old Europe, in order to stop repeated nightmares, the simple remedy was to hang a holy stone on the bedstead. Mm -hmm. Its powers would then stop any visits from the nightmare or the evil hag spirit and prevent her also from stealing horses and children. Mm -hmm. And one of the pieces of poetry I found about the nightmare, some the nightmare hath pressed with that weight upon their breast. No returns of the breath can pass. But to us the tale is addle. We can take of her saddle and turn the nightmare out to grass. Which is what happens when you have... Sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis. Correct. Some excerpts from The Magic and Science of Jewels and Stones by Isidore Kaminsky, published in 1922. It is best of all, they say, hung about their necks, and a flint will do that hath a hole in it. It is to prevent the nightmare the hag, from riding their horses, which will sometimes sweat at night. The flint thus hung does hinder it. And then another writer says, A stone with a hole in it hung at the bed's head will prevent the nightmare. It is therefore called a hag stone from that disorder which is occasioned by a hag or witch sitting on the stomach of the party afflicted. Mm -hmm. The mare of nightmare is derived from the Saxon Mara, an incubus which attacked during sleep, depriving the victim of movement and speech. The Mara or mare is an order of vampire. 
Hebrew Maria, an evil spirit against which the flint is a charm. Hmm. And then I found a piece of poetry in Ballads Romantic, Fantastical, and Humorous by (laughs) William Harrison Ainsworth, published in 1855. Vainly for pity the wretch may sue, merciless Mara no prayers subdue. To his couch I flit, on his breast I sit, astride, 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 and one charm alone, a hollow stone, can scare me from his side. (laughs) Interesting. Basically, this was really widespread. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing that made me think of holy stones with these particular books is that they are supposed to reveal the presence of magic. Right. They are also used as windows or doorways to see other worlds, invisible spirits, or how a being really looks beyond their glamour. Mm -hmm. In Italian witchcraft, the hold stone is associated with fairies. It's considered a doorway or a key to the doorway into the fairy kingdom. It was believed that these stones have the power to bind a fairy to one's service for a length of time. Mm -hmm. Basically, you would look through the hole of the stone and you were supposed to be able to see something that might be invisible there. Right. Supposedly, it can also lend temporary psychic power to anyone who looks through them at the full moon or the stars on solstice nights. Okay. Interesting. And it's just folk magic. The whole point of folk magic is that nobody really knows how it started. Mm-hmm. It's been used by farmers to protect their livestock. It's been used by sailors to protect their boats. Lots of people across the world have used these as protective charms. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in doing such a thing, if you can find a holy stone to make a charm for protection, this is sometimes called a witch's ladder. It's a knotted rope of holy stones that can be hung up for protection. Each stone might protect from an early accident or death. And if it shatters, then it has supposedly used its power and helped you. It has basically taken that hex, that curse, that accident on itself and broken. Therefore, the seven hag stones on a seven knotted string is a powerful charm because the seven knots also lend their binding from harm strength. Okay. So basically, you just take a plethora of stones, use natural twine, arrange them, you knot them together, and hang them up. Mm -hmm. Fairy magic will likely use seven stones and seven knots, whereas other positive paths may well use nine. Okay. And then finally, a simple charm for good luck, if you happen to have a holy stone. And this I found in Transactions of the Lancashire and Cheshire Antiquarian Society, volume 27, (laughs) published in 1910. Sir John Evans, writer of Ancient Stone Implements, (laughs) observes, A confidence in the virtues of lucky stones, that is to say, pebbles with a hole through them or with a band round them, is still widely spread. And I well remember the incantation, Lucky stone, lucky stone, bring me some luck. Today or tomorrow by 12 o'clock. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So basically, Navita covered this very, very thoroughly. <laughs> <laughs> I actually just had a couple things to add. So when I was looking at it, my first stop was Wikipedia. And I saw that they've been found by archaeologists in Britain and Egypt and are found commonly in northern Germany along the coasts of the North and Baltic Seas. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, they're found everywhere there, right? They're found everywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They so can wonder- be found in streams. Yeah, I was wondering why they would specifically mention those places. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So second, I didn't think I'd ever heard of these stones until this book. 
but I was reminded by my partner that they actually show up twice in Terry Pratchett's Discworld series, which, if you haven't noticed by now, are some of my other favorite books. Mm-hmm. In Guards Guards, the villain is trying to summon a dragon, and he explains that the ritual requires magical items as fuel, mm-hmm. and instructs his lackeys to bring him appropriate things. And they bring back a pile of useless things, including in which is a collection of stones with holes in them. Mm-hmm. And the lackey insists that everyone knows that stones with holes in them are magic. Mm-hmm. And this comes back later when the villain is trying to summon another dragon is insisting that this bag of magic items that he has is powerful enough to do so. And when the heroes open the bag, they find only the stones with the holes in them and are very confused, apparently not being part of the everybody who knows this lore. <laughs> so, and then they show up again in Hatful of Sky, where heroine Tiffany Aching has one in her keepsake box. She mentions that it's supposed to be lucky because it has a hole in it, and she wasn't sure exactly why that was the case. Mm-hmm. Though she supposed that since it had spent a great deal of time in her pocket and safe in a box, it was luckier than other rocks that just got kicked around. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting note, in both of these examples, these rocks are called Dobby Stones, named in Discworld for a con man named Dobby Stone. But in our world, Dobby Stone is another name of the many names for mm. uh, which are adder or holy stones. But it can also be a name for stones just with divots in them, mm. and like not all the way through, which were used for milk offering to the gods or fairies. Right. And Dobby's another name for like a brownie or a house elf or something like that. Right. I know mm. that from Harry Potter. that's a thing i actually know from harry potter (laughs) (laughs) though worth noting the stones in these examples do seem to have the holes all the way through them right and something i didn't say was every country seems to have their own things like one of the bits of folklore i saw said that in scandinavian countries they would actually pour ale through a holy stone and then serve that particular ale to a woman in childbirth to help ease the pain not that just drinking alcohol would (laughs) but like it was supposed to take on some of the magical transformative properties like Mm -hmm. going from one realm to the next Mm-hmm. And I didn't also mention why they're even called adder stones, which was that they're supposedly the crystallized saliva of snakes. Oh, yeah. In some mythologies. And that's why they're called other things in different countries, because those particular countries don't have that mythological right. grip on it. And I did want to say another last thing, since we're talking about fictional holy stones, they also play a huge role in the second book of the Spiderwick Chronicles. I okay. don't know if you've ever read those. I haven't, but. I probably should. They're fun. They're kids' books. They are small children's books. The second book is called The Seeing Stone. Ha. Huh? <laughs> and it's by Holly Black, who's another fave author of mine. Mm-hmm. They allow two siblings, Jared and Mallory, to see some goblins that have attacked and kidnapped their younger brother, Simon. So the goblins are invisible and they use the holy stone to be able to see them so that they can actually fight them off. Cool. That was way more information than anyone ever wanted to know. And (laughs) I might give you a timestamp for when you could skip past all that stuff if you want to. And I'll just show you... Obviously, this is a podcast, but see, like, I put them on everything. Oh, cool. So that's one that I wrapped in copper for this particular wand. Cool. Yeah. Okie dokie. Back to the analysis. 
the reason I actually think that these are significant in this scene, Mm -hmm. why I think that they're interesting, other than the fact that I'm obsessed with them, is that they are supposed to reveal magic that you can't see. Right. And we've got these two fundamentally, at this point, supposedly unmagical characters. Right. Looking at each other through these stones. Right. And I just... There's a poetry there once you actually know what a holy stone is. Right. That I feel you don't get. It's just a cute scene if you don't know Mm. the folklore. If you do know the folklore, it brings in so much more depth to the scene. Right. So that's why I think it's exciting and important. Yep. So basically, Adam kind of tries to make a move on Blue, just being sweet and mm-hmm. the kind of stuff you do to the person you just started dating. Right. And like, that must have been so hard for him. Right. And she freaks. Right. And he, of course, he notices. And there's an exchange of, oh, I like it when you say that to me. And he's like, but. And she's like, I didn't say but. Yeah, but you meant to. I heard it. Right. And I'm like, yeah, there are times when you can, you can hear tell that. the hesitance. Mm-hmm. Adam says, my mother used to say, don't throw away compliments if they're free. But how did Adam's mother have to pay for her compliments? This is so disturbing. It really is. It's so sad. Yeah. I feel and- so bad for Adam's mom. I do like, too. She, I she is complicit. She does not stand up for him, but we But will, she's not yeah, we've discussed this is, yeah, yeah, this is something for later. <laughs> Blue tells Adam he can compliment her. I like it when you say things like that. But why won't she tell him? This is what I was saying before. It feels mm-hmm. like false conflict, something easily solved. Right. Although, like, I've yeah, been in situations. She's 17. Mm-hmm. I get it. <laughs> I was 17. I didn't know how to talk to boys. There I get it. Or girls. <laughs> I get it. There are lots of things that, that I get it. Back, okay, fine. <laughs> no, go ahead. I was going to say, there, there are lots of things that looking back, you're like, that would have been so easily solved. Oh, yeah. Even <laughs> seven years ago, eight years ago, mm-hmm. nine years ago. It probably yesterday. Been yesterday. Yesterday. <laughs> And then Blue thinks to herself that Adam was just quiet. He wasn't lost for words. He was just observing. She does get him there. Adam is sussing out that something's amiss for her. Blue thinks that it would have been much easier to tell Gansey when it felt like it didn't really matter. That she didn't want to scare Adam away with talk of true love so soon. I'm still like, part of this is just because she knows somewhere inside her that this thing with Adam is not true love. The last thing she wanted to do was scare Adam off. Is it? Is it the last thing? I mean, I know that she likes him as a friend. Mm. And maybe she does have feelings for him at this point. Again, everything is kind of mixed messages here. Even Mm. in her own brain, which is fine. She's confused. Mm -hmm. So instead of the truth, Blue blurts out that she doesn't want to kiss him because she's very young. Yeah, Blue is not smooth with her exit strategy (laughs) here. And she's already commented that Adam is not one to lie to. She does it to her, her mom. She does it to Adam. Like, it just, you know. Blue, you're, you're not good at lying. You're not, a, you're not smooth, lady. Like, it's just not smooth. Adam, in his search for a response, comes up with sensible. Which Blue has tried very hard not to be. She thinks that it was distressing to be called sensible, that she wanted to appear eccentric. I guess this is just one of those times where Blue just kind of rubs me the wrong way. Uh Uh-huh. I'm trying not to nitpick at her, but I think this scene, there's something about it that... Mm -hmm. (sighs) Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) 
But yeah, at this point, Ronan comes in and sits down with a sigh. Like he'd been a part of the conversation and it had tired him. I'm thinking, like, was he listening in? Yeah, I had written down, was he eavesdropping? (laughs) (laughs) And then Ronan with the cock or raven block. It's not, it's not really there. He sure is. (laughs) Are you joking? He is super cock blocking at him. (laughs) Adam's not going to get any anyway. He's bailing him out. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Blue is equal parts relieved and disappointed. Is she equal parts? I don't think so. No. And Blue contemplates the irony of a raven boy possessing a raven. I still find it strange that she's never met Chainsaw or heard yeah. her mention. Vernon is feeding this bird three, <laughs> like every, like two, every hours. two hours at this point. Like, it yeah. doesn't make any sense. And Vernon offers to let Blue hold Chainsaw. And Blue does because she wants to impress Vernon, who really can't be impressed. Mm-hmm. And how many other people want to impress unimpressable Ronan? <laughs> Holding her was frightening and lovely, a small, tenuous little life, much like Ronan's feelings, to Mm -hmm. be honest. Adam is withering about Chainsaw's name. Please. It's awesome. (laughs) I don't know why you're (laughs) withering about it. I think it's a great name. It's a great name. And Chainsaw goggles up at him even more. Mm, Oh, it's so sweet. She recognizes her name is basically. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Adam tells Ronan, you look like a super villain when you're familiar. And I'm like, I can totally see that. Yep. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Navita is petting a, 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 an, an imaginary, imaginary raven. And sneering. You forgot to mention the <laughs> oh, sneering. Oh, and sneer. <laughs> and Blue thinks to herself that it was like the raven in his hand was his heart finally laid bare. Mm-hmm. Correct. That is exactly what Chainsaw is. Yeah. Ronan's smile cut his face. But he looked kinder than Blue had ever seen him. <laughs> Effing Disney princess, Ronan Lynch. At this point, the door opens and Ronan ducks as if he's waiting for a blow. And I'm like, why? What, asked, what is he afraid of? I asked the same thing. Why is Noah being violent with Ronan? Mm-hmm. Blue thinks to herself, she's looking at Noah and thinking about the smudge on his cheek and how it was like she was at once seeing his dead body and his live one. That smudge was her brain's way of reconciling those facts. Exactly that. Mm-hmm. And I love that it's Adam, the skeptic, who is the one who accepts Noah first. And it's right. just like, hey, Noah, what's up? Yeah, they bump knuckles and Noah settles in. His knee touches Blue's, the physical contact mirroring Adam's. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling better, Noah says, as if he'd been ill instead of dead. And I'm just like, (laughs) he's very, he cracks me up. No pun intended, deadpan. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Just totally. I just deadpanned. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And so Noah says, I want you to know that I was more when I was alive. Poor sweet Noah. He's... Yeah. Yeah. Tears. Mm-hmm. Akin to a photocopy's resemblance of an original painting. Mm-hmm. And Noah pets Blue's hair. She says that she misses him. I do really like this aspect of their friendship. Right. And Noah seems confused, saying he is an Aglenby student. Right. Ronan presses for the truth. Blue gets upset and shouts at the boys. When Noah can't remember more details, she offers more energy. Right. And she takes Noah's hand and she thinks to herself that 
It was not merely cold, but somehow empty as well. Skin without a pulse. And Noah, please don't die for real. And it's so sad and so spooky. Yeah, but he is dead for real. I mean, he is dead for real, yeah, yeah. but Noah, he doesn't want him to go away. Right. Noah sighs, God. It's such an interesting choice. Does a ghost believe in God? Don't know. <laughs> and everyone notices how incorporeal Noah has gotten as he starts drawing from blue and becoming more again. Mm-hmm. Adam and Ronan exchanged sharp glances. Mm-hmm. And here Noah is stated to be wearing topsiders. I reject this canon. <laughs> he is wearing chucks. <laughs> End of discussion. Topsiders are Gainsy shoes. Yeah. Nope, nope, he's not. <laughs> they connect the time of Noah's death with the time of Gainsy's beasting death. Mm-hmm. And Adam quotes that you will live because of Glendower alone. Right. Coincidence, Ronan said, because it wasn't. Spoiler alert! <laughs> and Adam says, wake it up, Adam suggested. A sleeper? Could the ley line have been one of the sleepers? Possibly. Mm-hmm. I can't remember when I stopped being alive. Oh, fuck, that's really heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And also, all times being the same, it might be muddied for him. He might not actually remember when he stopped being alive. Right. So they want to know more about what happened, and Noah finds it hard to talk about. And he manages to confirm that it was a friend who did it, and that he was killed for the ritual. And then he mentions that he's glad he, Welk, doesn't know where Caveswater is. Right. I almost woke up Caveswater. But did he, in actuality, wake up Caveswater? Because Gansey is Caveswater, and he brought Caveswater, or Gansey, back to life. Right. In the circle of time. Mm-hmm. Blue wondered if this is what it felt like for her mom and the others when they did seances. Did they hold hands with dead people? Mm-hmm. And she expected death to be something more permanent or at least more obviously not alive. Mm-hmm. And Noah is just so much like stuck in between everything. Right. And Ronan wants to punish the person who did this, mm-hmm. but he's angry with Noah too. Why? Ronan is all action. He's forward motion. He, mm-hmm. He's a direction. He's a spear pointed at a target. Mm-hmm. He needs to know what that target is. Yeah. Also, he's been spending the whole afternoon drinking and mourning his friend who is sitting right in front of him. <laughs> it's true. Adam said, rather more ferocious, a friend wouldn't kill you. It seems to be a reflection of his vision. Right. Because just a second later, we were friends. Are you afraid of Gansey? And then Adam gets a pained expression on his face. Mm-hmm. Noah is making excuses for Welk. And this makes my blood boil. Uh-huh. It's very much an abuse victim mentality. Mm-hmm. And then Ronan has had enough. He's like, all right, out with it. Who killed you? And Noah's like, but you already know. And this feels very fourth wall breaking, almost audience winky, because we know, but the characters in the book don't actually know. Uh Uh-huh. All right. Well, I guess that's it. Drum roll, (sighs) please. Done. Time for most valuable character. Do you have one picked? Shit. Um, give me this. <laughs> <laughs> I did, and now I've forgotten what my reasoning was. Okay, hang on a sec. Mm. Well, I, I'm still torn between two different ones, so. <laughs> hmm, let's see. 
I'll go. Go ahead. Go first. Okay. So I really like Adam in these chapters. He's good. He's mm-hmm. good. That's good. I also like Baby Chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> a baby Chainsaw. Baby Chainsaw's gotten one, right? No. No? That's the whole point. Baby Chainsaw's never gotten her freaking MVC. Baby Chainsaw (laughs) keeps losing out to freaking other people. (laughs) Like last time she lost out to Noah, I think. The first time she lost out to Noah. All right. Well, Baby Chainsaw it is. Okay. Well, then Baby Chainsaw it is. (laughs) So what were your choices, though? Um, Adam was a good one. I was kind of torn between Adam and Noah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think Baby Chainsaw it is. <laughs> I feel like we're giving her a pity award now. <laughs> but she won't be a baby for much longer. That's the thing. This exactly. might be the last time and we get to give one to Baby Chainsaw. <laughs> and she's so so adorable she really is adorable she's goggly and she does help blue get an end to ronin here so she's important we're not giving her a that's not a pity pity award award. (laughs) baby chainsaw is awesome well it's about damn time (laughs) (laughs) maggie watch maggie watch the exciting news that's popped up in the last week is we know that at the very least the first book of the dreamer trilogy is in the hands of maggie's editor who apparently said it was really fucking good so thank you to david for that piece of heartening news awesome And then a super awesome supporter shout out this time around. Yes. And perhaps you've noticed that Raven Girls has a shiny new logo. And it is super awesome. It's, oh, it's so awesome. Mio did an amazing piece of art for us and we love it so, so incredibly much. They have also done quite a few fabulous pieces of Raven Cycle fan art, which all can be found on their Tumblr at kojotei.tumblr.com. And we will also be linking to their art pages in our show notes. But we really cannot express our thanks enough. Absolutely not. It is amazing. It's Thank you so much. so awesome. So with that, I think that's it. We're done. So thanks for listening. Our next episode will cover chapters 33 through 35 of The Raven Boys with a deep dive on psychometry. And as always, our recording schedule is several weeks ahead of the release schedule. So follow us online for announcements of what chapters we will be covering next. And please send us your thoughts. We do absolutely love when we hear contributions. Absolutely love talking to other fans. That's the whole point of this, by the way. You can find us practically everywhere on social media at Raven Girls, R-A-V-I-N-G-I-R-L-S. On Twitter at Raven Girls, on Tumblr at ravengirls.tumblr.com, Facebook at facebook.com slash ravengirls, and reach us directly at ravengirls at gmail.com. You can reach me at substanceparty.tumblr.com or via Gmail at substanceparty with all of the A's taken out, S-U-B-S-T-N-C-E-P-R-T-Y at gmail.com. If we have referenced a post or article in the podcast, we will do our best to include source links to those in the show notes. The Raven Cycle and all affiliated properties are copyright Maggie Stiefvater and Scholastic Incorporated. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and until next time, whoop whoop Raven Girls! girls.
And again, thank you to Mio for the awesome new logo. So pretty. Um, our next episode. Suddenly, it's like Lady and the Tramp up in this bitch. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> like, we're getting spaghetti later? What's the deal? <laughs> Somehow feelings led into Bella Noche. I don't know how. Uh-huh. <laughs> and now the singer's going to either be us singing or it's going to be... Somehow it's Lady the Tramp up in this bitch. <laughs> You mocking me, <laughs> mocking you.